Hello, my name is Will Hazel and welcome to this week's TED podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by William Stewart. Hello. Ed Dorrell. Hello, hello. And Helena Mass. Hello. Uh, we'll get things underway by talking about uh, latest news. Ed, this is you, the were news. <laughs> <laughs> you were at a conference today. Um, yes, I was at the launch of the Confederation of School Trusts, which... Uh, is a organisation that was sort of born out of uh, the geeks among our listeners will know of FASNA, which is mm. a slightly archaic old organisation. Um, but the CST is an attempt to create something akin to a trade association for multi academy trusts. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea is that they kind of, and the proof will be in the pudding, but they ought to be able to resolve some of the problems associated mm. with MATS. Uh, related party transactions and yes. the like uh, internally, but also have a sort of sector-wide voice. Yeah. So someone for us to go to. Yeah, uh, and you can see why they do. Someone for Damien Hines to go because to. Because sort of Fasno, it doesn't sort of you don't it doesn't scream clarity in terms of what it's about. Whereas <laughs> you know Confederation of School Trusts, you sort of know. That's what it says in the tin, yeah. you know, Ron Seal. Uh, the interesting thing I thought this morning, apart from the. Um, the, the invention of the CST was that they had Damien Hines there, mm. which I suppose in itself was slightly interesting. It's a, a coup for them. Yes, a real coup. Um, but I, the speech he gave, I thought, was really interesting. Uh, there wasn't anything particularly earth-shatteringly new within it, but it was a really, really red-blooded defence uh, and promotion of um, academisation or school autonomy. Um, the Govian legacy, if you will. I mean, yeah. it was full of strong language, directly in response to um, Angela Rayner's comments at the Labour Party conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I thought it was the most, uh, it was the most, it was the most red-blooded kind of passionate defence I've heard from an education secretary yeah. probably since Michael Gove. He's seen a bit of a dividing line, and he's going for it. Really absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I think Nicky Morgan and certainly Justin Greening were quite happy to kind of treat the academisation project, project and maths as something they inherited but not something they were particularly associated with um, whereas this was definitely <coughs> full-blooded yeah. here we go yeah. once more onto the breach stuff uh, as, as Will said you could kind of see this being sort of a um, uh, the Conservatives sort of trying to make a lot of this were there to be something like an election they, yeah. they you know sort of um, kind of conjuring this spectre of lay, a Labour government coming along and sort of closing all these, in their minds, kind of brilliant schools which have sprung up over the last eight years. Well, yeah. they're not going to close them, are they? But, um, no, yeah. I mean, there's loads of really interesting politicking going on. Mm -hmm. Actually, Labour haven't said that they will fully reverse academisation. Yeah. In fact, they've been quite clever. And, it, and in fact, uh, I think Damon Hines wants to present them yes. as reversing academisation to give himself clear blue water mm -hmm. and something mm -hmm. to rally the troops around. The, the, the interest—it's not the brand that it used to be, is it? Like before, you know, there was a time when people would speak out about against academisation, but it was a real minority sport. You were right on the fringe, but I think the brand's been tarnished a bit now, hasn't it? You know, in the, in the minds of the public, with the well, we we've done plenty of stuff on it, but obviously more more mainstream. The BBC did the Panorama stuff yeah. on 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 the one in on the one in Cumbria right, and, right. and the South West. Yeah. yeah. So off off rolling so, and, and related party transactions. Yeah. So it might not quite play the way the way it used to, which I guess is what Angela Rayner thinks. Yeah, absolutely. But it was it was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And we, we had Spielman of this morning as well. Indeed, yeah. So off there's been in the news a lot. What what's um Amad Spielman been saying today? 
well, essentially laying slightly more detail on what she's been saying for quite a long time about why they need to change the inspection framework, which obviously we've been reporting a lot on yeah. when we are talking about last week. Um, people have concerns over workload, exactly whether it can be carried out, but she's determined it will be, and she gave a little bit more detail today about exactly what, what the grades would be. So there's, there's still going to be four different judgments and, yeah. and, and, an overall, and an overall judgment. Yeah. And basically the, the, there'll be two that kind of surround pupil welfare as opposed to one, but there'll be one overall judgment on the quality, sorry, not overall for school, but they'll combine a teaching learning judgment and an outcomes judgment with one looking at the overall quality of education. So the idea is it's less about exam results and more about what schools do in the round. Yeah. So good idea. Lots of people are, are, are worried about what it will, what will happen in, yeah. in you know the execution of it. I mean, the, the big thing, um, without wishing to labour this point, because we've talked about it a lot. The big thing is that last week saw a number of critics line up to call for her either yes. to abandon it or to delay it, and, and her response seemingly has been to go to schools northeast and, uh, and make a, 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 a full uh, and passionate defence of her policy and seemingly saying you're not going to bugger off. She yes, definitely won't yeah. delay the consultation coming out in January full steam ahead for, for September so yeah lots lots still happening on that. Yeah I think we're going to be yeah doing lots of stories on it. Yeah and it's not the only story we've been doing about Ofsted this week is it? William. No, <laughs> <laughs> no um, I did um, a couple of stories which were published uh, yesterday uh, looking at how Ofsted um, oversees school safeguarding um, because I, I did a, a piece um, uh, last month about a quite uh, well, very disturbing case in which there was um, uh, the rape of a, um, a child in a primary school by, by other pupils and um, the, the school in question, sort of the, the allegation is that they failed to safeguard that child. Um, Another sort of strand of this is is that um, the, the mother of this child actually alerted Ofsted to the fact that this had happened, that there'd been this safeguarding failure. Um, she actually told an Ofsted inspector about it sort of directly. And yet when um, Ofsted came to publish that report, um, it actually praised the school safeguarding, um, which immediately kind of raises questions about you know, how how could they possibly have reached that that sort of judgment uh, in this case, and and it's not the only incident. Um, we've we've also sort of covered a, a second case um, again where there was a, a very serious safeguarding failure, which Ofsted was was warned about. It sort of said that um, this was sufficiently serious that it demanded immediate action. This this is connected with a with, with another. Exactly, people, another people who had allegedly been been raped out of school, um, and yes, Ofsted, Ofsted kind of was was told about this this incident. It flagged it up for immediate action, but uh, an inspection didn't take place until ten months later. Um, and then when that inspection did take place again, they basically found that the school had been sort of effective in its safeguarding. And in in this case, that the school had had sort of basically put this um, this this victim back into the same the same classroom with the alleged perpetrator. So um, yes, I think that did raise all sorts of questions about you know who's really overseeing this element of what schools do, and, and is anyone really kind of holding them 
uh, to account on, on whether they're doing a, a, a proper job. And what are Ofsted saying when you ask them? Well, Ofsted, I mean, they defended the, um, the actions of their inspectors in both cases. But Ofsted, actually, I felt they, they almost sort of said that it wasn't their job to do some of these things. I mean, they, they said that if someone raises a safeguarding concern, then they should not be the recipient of, of that, um, that sort of concern. It should, be, it should go to the local authority, because the local authority does have sort of statutory responsibilities in this area. Um, to sort of ensure that that child is safeguarded. And I think that's a fair response, but obviously Ofsted is also an inspectorate. It does rate um, schools on their safeguarding. It, in, it sort of inspects their safeguarding. Um, it's actually in Ofsted's own guidance. It's very explicit that it's supposed to kind of canvas um, the opinions of uh, parents on how well a school is doing its job. And so if a school is, you know, sort of, appears to be failing in this area, I do think that that, that should be reflected in its um, its inspection judgments and the fact that it doesn't seem to be, again, it sort of worrying. raises question about anyone's if anyone's really sort of watching this. And if Ofsted isn't, and the LA is supposed to be, and we, we've all heard about the states that, of local authority finances and the yeah. investment that goes into yeah. these departments these days, so yeah. even if LAs are the statutory body, mm. I mean, there'll be lots of places where they won't be able to do that uh, yeah. in, in, in a satisfactory fashion. So that raises all sorts of questions as well, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, a, I mean, there was a point about the, uh, the LAs that one of the parents made was that, wasn't it because it was a maintained school that, yes. that the local authority, it, it, you know, because it's in these cases it can actually be representing the school. So, yeah. so, so it's hard for it. It's, it's not a conflict, the, right? It's not, yes, exactly, it's not course, the ideal yeah. body to take a kind of... Um, objective view on these kind of things, so, yeah. so it's difficult for yeah. to answer. It's an extraordinary story. Um, turning to this week's magazine, um, Will, um, we've got a piece in it um, from John Roberts about dilapidated school buildings. Are you able to tell us a bit, bit about that? Yeah, we, it's some research that TES did with the Association of School and College Leaders, and it's, it's basically found out the, the kind of grim reality that, that we all predicted would happen with... with you know, public spending going down, that, that school buildings are, are beginning to deteriorate because, you you know, you have to spend money to keep them up to date and to keep keep um, roofs from leaking, and that's not happening. So more than top top lines, more than two-thirds of heads said their school buildings were no longer fit for purpose. Um, of, of those, uh, three-quarters said there were leaks. More than two-thirds had asbestos. There were crumbling walls, damp... You know, you, you name it, it's happening, and and to a much larger, you know, and and it's getting a lot worse. And, and I mean, you read the piece in the magazine, but it, it, it's very good at getting across just what it's like teaching in these schools. Uh, John Roberts, who wrote it, has gone to a couple of schools that are both good and you know get good results. So people might say, well, if you're getting good results, what's the problem? But I think it illustrates perfectly that it is difficult and it's demoralising if you're having to put wheelie bins out to catch water and, and, and that kind of thing, it really doesn't help but it, it's, it looks like it's becoming the new norm. Yeah, There is research isn't there and has been research done over the years which suggests that um, sort of crumbling buildings don't have immediate impact on results and conversely and possibly more uh, rigorous research which says that shiny new buildings don't necessarily have a positive uh, effect on results, 
But what they always ignore, I feel, um, is the point that you're kind of alluding to, which is um, over a medium term and a long term, what crumbling buildings say to the pupils, what crumbling buildings say to the teachers. You know, we have a, we have a recruitment crisis. Um, what do crumbling buildings say to teachers about the way government and, in fact, society thinks of them? Yeah. You know, just because a group of teachers can get a good series of results in a two or three year mm. period at a school that's falling down, that is not a good enough reason not to be investing in schools. Yeah, and if you're, in, you're trying to inspire some children to take it more yeah. seriously mm. and, and the, it's in a classroom that's falling to bits, it doesn't look great, does what it? What does it say about like, uh, kids' futures and what we think about yeah. them? And they might still be getting the results, but it's going to be that much harder for the teachers to get them. Yeah. So you're making teachers' jobs harder. Yeah, absolutely. There's probably no immediate prospect that these um, roofs are going to get fixed, are there, when funding so... Theresa May announced the end of austerity, right? <laughs> <laughs> Last week. It's all going to be OK. It's fine. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean the limited building and building programme that, that is now in place, we've already reported it, but it's mentioned again in this feature, that's a kind of a year behind because mm. for some reason they actually haven't managed to spend all the money. We, we, so <laughs> something's gone a little bit wrong there. Yeah, yeah well, construction projects are complicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moving on to a, a sunnier topic than crumbling buildings. <laughs> Helen, we've got a piece on uh, positive psychology as part of the, the spotlight sort of feature mm -hmm. in this week's magazine. Are you able to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So this is um, essentially the... Um, uh, movement behind a lot of these initiatives that we're seeing in schools at the moment around well-being, improving, um, you know, teaching mindfulness skills, all of these <laughs> kind of initiatives which um, can seem a little bit fluffy and I think a lot of people <coughs> perhaps think that there's um, not necessarily a lot of substance to them. Um, but but uh, the ideas for these initiatives come from a movement called Positive Psychology, um, which was pioneered by uh, Martin Seligman, who is a former president of the American Psychological Association. Um, and there's actually some really good science supporting uh, the use of these kind of techniques um, to tackle depression yeah. um, and to improve mental health um, in a sort of a clinical sense. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the question then is, is how well these techniques translate into education and schools. Um, and there's sort of uh, issues around that. Um, and I think that, that training for teachers is a really big issue with it. Um, but the science itself does seem to say that these, these techniques work. Yeah. So are there kind of practical things which teachers can do to try to sort of instill a more kind of positive attitude in their pupils which will be beneficial for their health and beneficial for their sort of academic achievement. Sure, so it's, it's all about focusing on um, not sort of fixing problems but around maximising um, existing benefits and yeah. existing sort of um, mental health. So uh, for example a really simple exercise um, that Seligman has trialled himself is getting um, people to write down um, three things that went well uh, in their day every evening for a week um, <laughs> and in doing that <laughs> they um, have lasting benefits for six months afterwards right. um, so that's something that would be really easy to replicate in school and in a newsroom <laughs> well <laughs> perhaps you should try it Ed perhaps <laughs> yeah. yeah there was, there was a great quote in this where it said um, uh, until 20 years ago, uh, Seligman explained that psychology was dominated by the Freudian view that the best you could ever do in life was to, was to not be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think perhaps as kind of cynical journalists, kind of ideas of 
positive psychology. We're perhaps not the <laughs> the ideal crowd, but um, it is really interesting. Um, and as you said, it sort of seems to be an attempt to actually try to kind of um, put some flesh on the bones of what can be quite sort of fluffy ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the, the focus is is the right one. It's just looking at, at ways that we can um, really pl practically apply this um, to to education. Do you buy it? Um, I think I, I'm certainly convinced by the science in terms of um, how it can support people with depression, that kind of thing. Um, I think that there's more research that needs to be done um, in terms of how it applies in schools. One of the things he says is he's not convinced that it works with younger children. So, for example, doing mindfulness in reception. Um, <laughs> the uh, evidence, he says, is, is not necessarily Thing. there. <laughs> Why? Because it, it just... It just guys over the head at that age? Or? There's just not the research to support it. So right. um, studies have shown that um, doing these kind of techniques with pupils from sort of 9, 10 onwards can have benefits, but there's just not the research to support it earlier on, he says. Sure. I spent a day in the school last year doing uh, mindfulness. I remember. Yeah, and I Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I came out, should we say, less cynical about it than I went in. It's worked on you then. Which, is, uh, which, is, uh, which is high praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> on that moment of, uh, of hope and optimism, uh, I think um, uh, that's probably uh, as much as we've got time for this week. So thank you to Will, Ed and Helen. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.